What's going on, everybody? This is the Making the Turn podcast, and I'm your host, BJ Parker, and this is episode one. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into the podcast. This is Making the Turn, and um, I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I'm glad to be with you guys today. This is episode one. This ought to be fun. So um, this is a podcast in general that's going to talk about uh, some things in the green industry and and how we can help those that are uh, maybe out there working in sales or superintendents or lawn care professionals. And today, first on the agenda, I got Chris Fondren from Dickens. Dickens Turf and Supply, is that it? Yeah, Dickens Surf and Landscape Supply, that's correct. Well, yeah. Good, man. Well, I'm glad yeah. you're here, man. I appreciate you doing this. I'm I'm looking forward to this, and you get to be my guinea pig, so <laughs> welcome in. Well, great. Uh, thanks for having me, BJ. It's uh, absolutely a pleasure, and, and uh, I'm really looking forward to covering the uh, topics that we're going to be touching on today, and, and uh, uh, I'm also your guinea pig, episode one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I was something I've wanted to do for a long time, and uh, I'm glad you, you're, uh, you know, we have, like we talked uh, earlier today, I was like, you know, it's given me an opportunity to kind of get to know somebody that I hadn't had a chance to spend a lot of time with, and being in this business now, 20-something years, <laughs> over 20-plus years, that's kind of hard to find, especially in the same area, so, that's man, true. I appreciate you being here, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, so. Um, so, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um <laughs> You know, I know, I know, I know what you do, but but uh, I know you're a salesman with uh, Dickens. But uh, you know, what what got you started in that, and and uh, how you enjoying it so far? Well, let's see if we can do the short version first, uh, <laughs> and then we can get into it if, if we need to. But uh, along the short of it, I'm I'm from Old Hickory, Tennessee. I actually grew up across the street from Old Hickory Country Club, um, which is kind of funny now because whenever I go see Dan, um, you know, I always make sure to make it a point and and uh check it out over there but anyways um uh went to hunters lane high school in nashville um i was an athlete played uh baseball and football there and at hunters lane and uh went on to uh pursue baseball in college and so my first year out of school went to tennessee tech and uh i made the drastic mistake of trying to do baseball rush fraternity and then do engineering on top of that Nice. And uh, yeah, yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> what an eye-opening experience. But anyhow, um, I did make the fall team there as a, as a walk-on. And uh, towards the end of the fall, I got cut. And so I finished up that, that year, moved on the next year to uh, play baseball at Columbia State, a community college. And I played there my two years. And in the meantime, during the summers, my dad and I had a, a lawn care business, just pretty much mowing and weed eating and, and uh, taking care of, of lawns for people. But uh, um, So that's kind of how I got my foot in the door in the green industry. But then while I was at Columbia State, uh, I met a man named Bill Marbit with uh, Southern Athletic Fields, and they predominantly take care of athletic fields, and they sell materials for athletic fields. Well, that field at Columbia State was Bill Marbit's baby, and he basically, uh, after we got to know each other, he handed me the keys and said, here, mow this field every day or every other day. You be my eyes and ears here. And so I did that for uh, a little over a year, and when my time was done at Columbia State, I could have, I, I wasn't the greatest baseball player in the world. I just worked hard, 
and I probably could have gone to a small school, but um, the other option for me besides doing that was to go and get my turf degree, and uh, I was able to get on the grounds crew at Mississippi State, and so the next three years, I finished up my college education at Mississippi State, uh, getting my turf degree, and also working on the grounds crew while I was there, so uh, from there, um, my first job out of school was at Georgia Tech as the assistant groundskeeper under John DeWitt, who is now the University of Alabama groundskeeper. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, um, myself, Todd Tribble, who's now the groundskeeper at Oklahoma State, and, and John were pretty much the, uh, the main guys there at that time that handled baseball and football in particular. There were other guys on staff that handled softball, and they had a small golf golf course. But uh, we pretty much handled baseball and football. And so uh, from there – um, after, I think I was there for two years and, uh, I, I wanted to come home living in Atlanta was, uh, was tough, but, um, uh, I wanted to come home and I ended up, um, coming back to work for a good friend of mine named Lou Warner with Warner's athletic construction. So, uh, worked there for a year. It was a crazy schedule. I learned a ton though and had a blast, but, uh, uh, just a very volatile schedule. And so I ended up getting out of the turf industry for about four years and uh, I interviewed at one point with Dickens uh, about a year and a half before I actually started with him. And that particular job was for a uh, inside sales manager position uh, over one of the locations at Dickens. And at that time, financially, it was going to be a lateral move. And they also wanted me to work Saturdays, which was a huge deal for me because um, I came out of working just six or seven days a week, and I just didn't want to work weekends anymore. So I ended up turning them down, and and uh, I was working for a company doing low voltage, uh, do, doing uh, security systems, uh, running data network systems, things like that. And just one day out of the blue, I got an email from, from Brian Dixon, who owns Dickens Turf and Landscape Supply, and he said, hey, our, our – uh, position has changed we we have uh something that you might be interested in would you like to come talk to us and next thing i knew i was <laughs> outside sales rep for dickens and that was uh that was a little over six years ago now so here i am in 2019 and uh um uh, it's and working in the green industry again uh it's like once i got out i just couldn't get it get it uh i had to get back in so here i am <laughs> Well, I, that's that's awesome. I, I mean, I, I I feel you. I mean, I feel like this is such a great industry. That's been pretty much all I've ever known, and you know, it it, it says a lot about you know being around the people and the relationships and the things that you build and and you being a salesman, you get to see a different side than maybe I've seen. And so, you know, as part of being a salesman, do you ever feel like that? you wanted to do something different in the industry or is that kind of the, what you've settled in on as far as being uh, where you can help, where you feel like you're the best at as far as what you kind of experience and how you want to help others kind of get what they want to get out of it? Well, I, I truly do feel like I've found my calling in, in the sales side of, of this industry. Um, why not, when I was in college, uh, I did an internship one summer working at Valhalla and uh so I, I got some golf course experience from that. And then, of course, um, on the athletic side of things, um, both with construction and also daily maintenance at uh, uh, Georgia Tech. So I was pretty well versed in those two 
um, or in those two sides of the industry. And I just, you know, working in the green industry, when you're on the maintenance side of things, it truly is a lifestyle. And for me, I love to hunt and fish. And now uh, my family is also a part of, of hunting and fishing. And so uh, in being in sales allows me to be a part of my family and, and get to hunt and fish and things like that. So sure. uh, I truly do think I've found my calling. I've always been a people person. And so it just kind of came natural once I uh, got into the daily role of being a outside sales rep. So, well, do you, what do you, what do you see as the biggest challenge that you got as far as what you do? Probably the biggest challenge that, that I see is, is first and foremost, uh, there's a lot of competition out there. Here in the Middle Tennessee area alone, there's anywhere from 10 to 15 sales reps or, or companies working for sale or having that have sales reps working for them that are out every day knocking on doors, meeting people, and uh, trying to sell products. And so that makes it tough. The market's kind of bloody, and uh, you have to really focus in on uh, your relationships that you have with your customers and try and build those up and also build new ones at the same time so it becomes a huge time management issue yeah um, the second thing is and, and we touched on this a little bit earlier but nowadays sales reps are no longer the individuals with all the information the and this is true of of any industry not just in the in the green industry but but the information for all of these products that any of us sales reps sell the, the information about that product is available to the end user at the click of a button. And it's, it, it, it makes our job increasingly difficult to bring something new, a new solution to a problem to, to a customer. So what that means is those 10 to 15 different sales reps that are referred to earlier, now you've got all of us selling essentially the same products. So, uh, that that makes the the competition just that much more, and so you have to try and find ways to uh, be unique. And uh, all of us have unique products available to us, but uh, for the most part, we're all uh, trying to provide solutions to problems. So so one of the approaches that I have is I, I try and give sell or superintendents space as much as I can. I. I I don't want to be that guy that when I show up, they scatter or hide from me, <laughs> you know, so, and, and I, I know never, a lot of guys like that. <laughs> there are some, there's a few. Um, but uh, whenever I was working at, at sites, you know, I, uh, I always wanted to look forward to seeing the sales rep when he came to, to, to see us as opposed to, Oh gosh, here he comes. Let me go hide. <laughs> you know? So I try and approach things from, that perspective of how would I feel if I was in these these individual shoes? So um, I, I try and give people a lot of space. I don't I don't beat them up with a lot of emails or phone calls or sure. try and shove products down their down their throats because again these are the same products everybody else has. Yeah. So instead, I uh, try and be more of a solution oriented individual. So let's go look at the course. What problems are you seeing? Uh, you know what have you seen? How did you fix them? And, and just learn from people, just talk to people. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, that, that, that goes a long way in your profession from building relationships is, is creating 
creating a, a way that you can give value to the customer because like you said, the products are going to either sell themselves or they don't, you don't necessarily have to sell that particular individual, that product there. Exactly. They need to know, yeah. they need to have some other reason to buy from you. And a lot of times that can be superficial. Like what can you do for me? You know, are you going to do something special for this customer, whether it be take them somewhere, give them something or in general, is it, are you just a guy that they like and they want to buy from? And, and then what other sort of tools and values can you give? And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be like their, you know, the, the end all be all know it all. It just means that you can provide a good service, give them what, you know, when they want it, you can get it for yeah, them. That's right. And, and, and so, yeah. you know, that goes a long way because I think, I think having learned some, some sales skills over the last two or three years for me is, is how can you, how can you increase the value of what you're trying to do in terms of, um, a particular product or service because every, if everybody's doing it the same way, what is it that separates me from somebody exactly. else? What's and, that unique thing? And yeah. I, and I know we talked about this a little earlier and we get into a little bit is you, you have a couple of unique products that are sort of not, not that not, ever, not, not that somebody's not necessarily serving, uh, selling it or have it, but that you have a product, you have a couple of products that, that kind of gets your foot in the door and can get you to, uh, maybe, build a relationship with somebody that, that they may not be thinking about you at the time. So talk a little bit about, like, I know you've been um, big on social media uh, posting about the painting and stuff like that. And, and I'm a, I got a lot of thoughts on that. I feel like I, I feel like I, you know, was one of the very first people that got involved in that. And, and, um, and I really believe in that process and that product. So talk a little bit about what, who, you know, not necessarily who you're helping with, with, but what you're doing as far as getting the, getting the products out there, getting them paint on the ground, showing people the benefits of that. Cause I think that's something that is still, even though a lot of people are now doing it, it's still something that, that, uh, virtually untapped. I mean, and I, and I, and I, I've been trying to get people on the residential side to do it forever. So, well, I, first off, uh, I've, I never did Facebook very much. And, uh, until about three years ago, um, I, I had a Facebook account, but just to give you an example, after my wife and I got married, I think I was still engaged six or eight months later. I just never went on and I, you know, I, I had the account. I just didn't do much with it. So, I went from that to using Facebook as a platform to promote myself. Um, my side job, I guess, if you want to call it that, besides what I do in sales every day, is I, I fish bass tournaments. And uh, it's a true passion. It, it's an unquenchable thirst. I can't get enough of it. But with that, I experienced some success and acquired some sponsors along the way. And one of the things that sponsors want to see is activity on social media. And... At that time, Facebook was was the big thing. So uh, I, I recognized the power of putting something on Facebook and having, you know, touching a bunch of people all at once. Uh, but it, uh, I never really did anything with it as far as uh, in the green industry, in the turf industry. And I kind of kept that private. But here about six months ago, earlier this summer, I started, I, I created a tweet account, and uh, or a Twitter account, I guess, and uh, began tweeting every now and then. I, I, I didn't tweet all the time, but every now and then, when I felt like I could offer some value with, with whatever I was seeing, I would, I would post something. 
And so here recently, getting into the paint, so um, we have a, a green turf paint that uh, is called Endurant, made by Geoponics, and it's a, a natural green paint that uh, is is all liquid paint. There's no any there's no hard hard particles in there which are bad for your pumps and so on and so forth so um, getting that out there to the marketplace to show superintendents in particular the value of hey here's what this looks like here's the benefits you can see from it um, when I started doing applications for people as demos I started tweeting about it and every time I would do one um, I would notice that if, if it was a video in particular it wouldn't be very long before you'd have a hundred views and then you check it out a few days later and you'd have 500 views and it would just exponentially grow. And so it seems to me that here recently Twitter has become the forum that people learn other ideas from as opposed to Facebook. There's been a shift from Facebook to Twitter and in particular with the turf industry, that is where guys are seeing new ideas and and it just may be a small video or a picture with a a brief synopsis of whatever's going on sure. but it's it's a forum where where we all can learn and uh so i've been doing that here a lot lately and and uh, it's incredible how many how many views you can get when you know i i tweet something out and then you know two people see it and then one of them tweets it and then five people see it and then four of those people yeah. You know, it, and it just grows exponentially. So um, that's been one of the cool things about uh, Twitter here lately that uh, has allowed me to grow as as uh, a person in the industry, but also personally, too, because uh, um, you just meet so many people. I get people that ask me all the time, hey, what radius spraying at? How are you doing this? And uh, so I can reach out and touch somebody and, and, and help them also. <laughs> so. Well, um, to that regard on social media, I mean, do you feel like you, that it's because I believe it's underutilized in our industry a lot. I mean, even though there's a lot of people that are on it, there's a lot of people that are just not using it to the benefit of them. And and it's a great way, like you said, to get knowledge out and get get uh, a quick perspective I, I specifically think twitter's twitter's the easiest mm -hmm. it, it may not be the most effective all the time but i think i think in general it 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 puts a lot of people in close contact with each other so um do, do you feel like that you're that you could even expand more into the into the social media network and in the realm and use that to your benefit or how do you see that and because i see it being huge in the future for sure i mean obviously Yes, I do. And, and the reason why I, I do is my territory right now is Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee, except for Memphis. And so if you look at it uh, as a day to day perspective, I can only see so many people per day. Yeah. I can only see so many people per week or per month, so on and so forth. But by using a forum like Twitter, again, you can touch so many people just at the quick click of a button. Yeah. And when people see, hey man, this this my my Twitter handle is Fonz underscore Dickens. When people see, man, Fonz underscore Dickens, he's he's out there painting again, or or he's seeing some kind of crazy weed, and and uh, this is what he's doing about it. Well, now 
all of your followers are seeing that and all and if they they retweet it all of their followers are seeing it and so you grow exponentially and and you can communicate with each other through twitter and so now literally you become a global um or you have the power to touch people all over the globe yeah just like that so yeah there's room to grow there for sure do you do you, like i like i i've I only have one Twitter account. I do. I do manage our Turflinks account, but it's specifically business. It's no personal. But, but I found in general that a lot of times people want to follow a person and not necessarily a particular business. So what I mean by that is like I, I've sort of shifted away to why don't I just keep it all on one? The only problem with that is is I've got so many other interests that I. I mean I, I tweet about. You know, I might tweet something personal. I might tweet something, you know, motivational, or I might tweet something controversial, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. But then I might have some work stuff, but, but it's all about who I am as a person. And so, uh, do you, I mean, you may, you may not be in that particular situation where you can do that because, um, and it doesn't afford you to do that. But I think, I think in general, that just creates, that makes you either more likable or, you know, more authentic in some ways or, or other and, and allows you. So do you, do you intermingle your personal stuff with it or do you just kind of keep it uh, low key chill? I, I guess to a, to a degree I do uh, on, on, on Twitter, I follow a lot of professional bass fishermen and things like that. But, but uh, generally as a rule, and I even still do this with Facebook to this day, I, I very rarely will offer an opinion of mine on social media. Um, and I think that uh, there's probably too much of that that goes on in, in the negative light. Um, so uh, anytime you do see me offer some sort of a personal opinion to be something, hey, I thought this was great. I wanted to share this with everybody. Sure. Um, I did a tweet. I guess it was a week and a half ago. I just just so happened saw a YouTube video about a, a, a gentleman. I don't even know. I don't even recall his name, but he, he started out, he was – way overweight i think it was 400 plus pounds and he just made the decision i want to get better and get in better shape physically and the transformation that his body went through also his mental transformation that he went through was such a powerful message that i wanted to share that with yeah. everybody and so uh like i said generally i don't offer any opinions or anything like that but if i do it's positive and um we probably need a lot more of that <laughs> nowadays. There's so much bad stuff out there, whether it's political or somebody's mad at somebody else yeah. or something that none of us probably really care about. Um, uh, I wanted to be a positive light, so to speak, on the in the uh, social media aspect. So, well, there's no doubt that we're short <laughs> on positivity, and that's man, you know, sort of in my mind mindset. I mean, I think too many people are just wrapped up in in whatever stuff that they want to get wrapped up in and, and we don't we don't need any more of that and you know <laughs> no. you're going to get that wherever you look but I, I do I definitely think that you know using using social media in your case to be influential in terms of what you're doing but also create a positive message is always a you know in my in my book a, a good thing I mean we're in a totally different generation I mean I you know 
I don't know how old you are, but I'm 46. And I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm having to adjust to what new kids are doing these days. And, <laughs> you know, we sort of came up in the, the, you know, but all this stuff is relatively new and we don't know what's coming down the pipeline, but it, it's just using every single platform you, you can find or get your hands on or learn to not only be better in your business or Per, you know, professional life, but in your personal life, as far as you getting to know people, getting information quicker, whatever. So, I, I mean, I, I certainly think that, uh, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I would encourage you to do as much or more as you possibly can, you know? Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. The, um, uh, I, I, I'm in agreement with you. If you're not growing and you're standing still, then really you're going backwards. So anytime, hundred <laughs> percent, any, anytime that you can find, a platform to gain information or provide information to help others it is as long as you keep it positive is going to be a good thing. And so, uh, you know, you just try and find positive things. Um, you disconnect from anything negative in your life. And, and that's not just in the turf industry. That's, that's in life overall. So. Absolutely. I, I believe that. So, um, what, it, what is it that if, if you could encourage someone that's maybe, you know, not making the sales or not doing, I mean, obviously you probably are not where you want to be. You want to always want to make more, sure. but I mean, what is it? Goals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody's got their own goals, but you know, what, would it be, a, what would you say to someone that came to you and said, Hey, what, what are some things I need to be working on? What, what's a typical, you know, something that kind of gets you out of the bed, getting going, say, I need to do this, do that. What are, what are some things that from your perspective you see professionally that, you know, that helps keep you pushing towards the goals you want to achieve? Well, there's there's a couple things, BJ. Um, uh, first off, I would share with them this lesson, and this is one of the first lessons that I learned. Uh, now, keep in mind, I came in on the heels. Of Get on a, that microphone, guys. This I feel like you're <laughs> going to give me some good stuff. Right here. All right. <laughs> um, I came in on the heels of a outstanding sales rep, Greg Johns. Greg's been in the. Industry. I'm gonna get him on the podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. Yeah. Um, but Greg's been in the industry for. Uh, I, 15, 20 years, a long time, but Greg is a, uh, Greg's just a natural born salesman. He, I think he honestly could sell ice cubes to an Eskimo, no doubt about <laughs> it. <laughs> but when, when I, when Greg left Dickens and it opened the door for me to come in, uh, I learned very quick that people do business with sales reps, not companies. So as soon as you learn that, then you start focusing on building relationships because at the end of the day, sales is all about the relationship. And so that is the first thing that, that I would share with a, another sales rep. The second thing is, and I read this in a book, I believe it was called the science of getting rich. Um, I, I'm a huge believer in, in reading all the time. If you can, now, sure. I, I probably don't do it as much as I should, but I still try and, and, and read, uh, positive, uh, motivational books to, to continue to better Chris. Cause I want to be as good as I possibly can be. But in this book, it said that the best way to, so to speak, get on top or, or to rise is to not step on others on the way, but to create your own uh, success. And so what I took from that is, is the best way to, for me and working in the turf industry and, and, uh, against those other sales reps we mentioned earlier, the best way to, to have success is to not step on their toes and, um, be, 
uh, one of these cutthroat sales reps that just doesn't care about anybody else. They're the only person in this world. Um, I, I didn't want to be like that. So you create your own success by establishing a, a great relationship with your customers. And from that point, the chips kind of just fall into place. And True. so those two things would be the, uh, the, the major things that I would tell them to focus on first. And then after that, you need to uh, benefit from any knowledge that you can get your hands on. Yeah. And, and that may be from book knowledge. That may be from product knowledge. And that may be just from talking to your customers and finding out what they're experiencing, their wants, their needs and the problems that they're facing day to day and then trying to help them come up with a solution. So, yeah, it, I, you know, from a superintendent, I'm gonna put my superintendent hat on and talk a little bit about something that I've, I've always kind of had a perception about, but you know, this, this job has evolved into a lot more of a technical job. I yes. Mean, being indeed. a superintendent has become, become something that, you know, has required a lot more knowledge and skill, but ultimately are in the, you know, what I felt like was, is that a lot of times guys just fell into this job. They did things. They, they constantly did things that, that, um, they, they this is the way it's always been. So this is the way we're going to do it kind of thing. And so the salesman would be kind of their, their source, their encyclopedia, if you will, for everything that they didn't know. That's right. And, and so, this put guys that maybe had trouble talking in front of groups, weren't good at managing people, you know, whatever the case might be. These put these guys in management positions to be superintendents that they did they didn't really have the skill set to necessarily handle all the other facets of the job, and so the salesman kind of filled a role for them. Mm-hmm. That's kind of changing, in my opinion, a little bit, but I still think there's a lot of guys that sales, they need, they rely on the salesman to help them with their chemical applications, whether it be, you know, new products, understanding something, um, you know, and, and it's, and it's a little bit, you like, you, like we talked about earlier, the information's more readily available. I can YouTube something if I want sure, to, absolutely. Yeah. but, um, but I think there's a lot of guys that are still scared of all this information and scared of the knowledge. So they stay in this sort of routine of, I've always done it this way. This is the way I'm always going to do it. And so whenever, do you, do you feel like when you approach someone, maybe you haven't met before or, or that you don't spend a lot of time with you, you, I mean, it's never good to assume. So I'm not saying that you would assume that they don't know anything, but how do you approach like, can I help this person or do I just want to see what they need? Or is it something that you, you sort of say, Hey, if, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to provide whatever value I can to them, regardless of what level of information they, they may have. And, and, and if you're, if they're doing something wrong, I mean, do you point it out to them or do you say, Hey, this might be something I've seen. You might want to try. How do you, how do you sort of approach some, you know, because I think there's a lot of guys in this industry that are, they're evolving, they're changing. They're, they're, there's certainly new young guys coming up that are more technically knowledge wise skilled, but you know, there's still a lot of old codgers and guys <laughs> yeah. out there that are doing it the yeah. same old way, you know? And so how, how do you, how do you sort of, uh, that's a roundabout answer to say, how do you approach sort of the aspect of helping someone, whether it be a superintendent or, uh, to, you know, a lawn care professional as opposed, you know, because they may not have all the ability or the knowledge to, that they need. Well, first, I will tell you, you got to handle it on a case by case basis. Yeah. Because uh, every person has an individual personality. Some like to be told, hey, this is not good. Some 
might step on their ego a little bit and you might have to tiptoe into <laughs> uh, making it their idea, so to speak. So uh, what that all comes back to is, is that initial relationship with the customer. Yeah. And um, I take a great responsibility in the fact that my customers, they, they trust me. And so if I see something, then they know that, hey, if Chris says this may not be the best thing, let's talk about it. Let's, let's see if we can find some common ground. Or uh, if it's a chemical that uh, they don't need to be spraying in that particular area, I'll flat out tell them, hey, you know what? You might want to might want to hang on just a second. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Uh, but but to answer your question directly, it, it, you, you kind of have to handle it on a case-by-case basis. Uh, the last thing that anybody really wants is to be told what they can and can't do. Yeah. And so you have to have a good enough relationship with people to begin with and so that you can have those difficult conversations and then go from there. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the biggest things that, uh, um, that I see sometimes. And and it may not be a misapplication. It may be, Hey, you know what, instead of spending that money that, that you and I had already talked about, I think I've found a a better solution for you that doesn't cost as much and being honest with them. And, uh, guys, I really appreciate that because I, at the end of the day, my job is to make sure that superintendents have what they need when they need it. Yeah. So if you can do that and not have to spend as much money as possible, then um, then I've done my job. How, how much do you how much do you feel like the superintendent? How much do you feel like the superintendents give you a, uh, all the information you need from them? or anybody in general, it doesn't have to be superintendents, but like when you're selling, do they give you enough information to kind of help you solve their problems or, or do you have to kind of whittle it out of them a lot of times? Well, again, it, it depends on the person. Yeah. Um, some guys are much more open, uh, others not so much, but, but when you get to know people and, and that, again, the, <laughs> the relationship you have with them, you kind of know, Hey, uh, you know, this individual, may not talk very much. I need to ask him more questions. And so uh, there is an art form to asking questions to get the answers that you're looking for in order to be able to provide them with the best information. But, but uh, it just depends on the individual really and truly. One one of, and one of the things that I, I've sort of learned is that is to, is to never, never assume anything going into a particular sales pitch or sales uh, conversation. And and it's exactly what you said. It's you have to ask the questions to get to truth of what, what you need out of that person. That's right. And, yeah. and, there, and there's so, so many analogies, but you've heard the old adage about like, like, um, you've heard like maybe an interview question, they'll hand you a pen and say, sell me this pen. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Wolf of wall street. Right. Yeah, that's and, a good one. and so, and, and too many times people fail at that exercise because they tell you how great this pen is mm-hmm. when in general, they, that, that person might not need that pen or they don't, or, or they, but, but if you ask them questions about why, why would they want that pen? Maybe it's for their mom. Maybe it's this, maybe they just lo- broke their pen, you know, so they're, Find out they so, don't have a pen. <laughs> yeah. So, so they, they, they sort of take and tell them how great this pen is when in general, that's not what they wanted. So you start out by asking questions about how can I, you know, going into a situation and saying, how can I help this person? What are the things, what, what is the, what is something that you're struggling with that maybe I can solve it for you? So, um, I mean, 
is that something you find that's a, 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 a lot easier to do, something that you feel like that you're falling into kind of uh, you or, or I mean, I know we talked about a lot of times people are people are calling you. And, and so you kind of solve their problems without really having to reach out to them. But I mean, have you ever have you you got a specific example where maybe you maybe, you know, you help somebody that wasn't on your radar or you just kind of walked into a situation and worked your way through it and helped them out? Well, how about this? Let's flip it around and use use this as an example. Sure. So um, I live in a neighborhood, and uh, it's pretty much all brick homes, you know, 2,000, 2,500 square foot houses, uh, pretty nice places. And needless to say, we get pounded on with people wanting to do pest control or alarms or whatever. Right. And because I'm in sales, generally speaking, if somebody knocks on the door, I'll give them 30 seconds to a minute. All right, give me your spiel. Let's see what you got. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, and what I've noticed while I'm listening to the people that come door knocking, um, and first off, I want to say that is probably the hardest job <laughs> ever. <laughs> I, I did that for about three or four days. That's a, that's a whole nother story, but, uh, I was, it was actually selling phone lines, but, but anyways, door knocking and cold calling on, on residential homes is extremely difficult. So. What I found when listening to these, most of the time it's kids, uh, but when they when they do their thirty second infomercial, they all they want to do is tell you about their product and how great it is, and they start using adjectives like unbelievable, um, you know this this stuff is amazing. I don't care. <laughs> I, I I don't want to hear that. And so, what they also never did they never asked me hey do you need an alarm system do you have an alarm system yeah you know, if you do have one do you like it or what would you change about it if you did have one you know they never asked me and so i think that the power of of asking people the what they like or what they dislike or what they would change about it is uh is something that's overlooked nowadays and so as a result Let's get back to where I'm opening the front door to a sales rep or somebody door knocking. It's just like, oh, great, here's another one. So immediately I'm defensive. Yeah. And so by asking those questions, um, it breaks down that, that defense wall, so to speak. And um, so I think that that's an important tool that we all should should use. And that's not just for so – I believe that all of us sell ourselves every day. Sure. I mean, we have, what is it, like nine seconds for people to analyze you and decide if they like you or not? Yeah. So I think Jordan <laughs> Belfort would say four seconds. Yeah. Something like that. So, so we're all selling each other every day yeah. um, uh, when we initially meet somebody. So, so yeah, that, that's where I was going with that was, you know, I think it's important for us as sales reps to ask questions, you know. It, it, now, the type of question that you ask, you, you might be driving towards something, but we're trying to find answers so we can pro provide solutions to problems. Ultimately. Sure. That's the end of the day. I, so. I think I think that ultimately <laughs> that's that's the bottom line as far as what you're trying to do. Everybody has some particular problem that they either don't know it or they do know it and they just can't figure it out. And there's people that are like yourself, that are put in that position to say, okay, what is it that I can help you with? Mm -hmm. What is it? What is, what product or service do I have that can solve that problem for them? And you know, that's in a nutshell, that's kind of what it is. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm falling into that role, you know, being a superintendent, 
it's it's similar it's a little bit different because you're dealing with one particular entity and you know and if i can't solve it internally through either labor or people that i've got handy or equipment then you got to go outside to find somebody that'll help you so sure yeah and you know i i'm not uh, uh i'm not opposed to if i can't help somebody i'll find somebody who can i've done that before sure and um i i think that at the end of the day as long as the sales rep understands this place that hey i'm in a position where i can help people regardless of if i physically can do it or if i know somebody who can that may be a competitor then you do whatever you have to do and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with your relationship with your customers is important but it's just as important to have great relationship with your competitors too oh yeah Talk about that a little bit. How does that, um, do you guys, uh, I mean, like superintendents are, and turf professionals in general, especially in, in the middle Tennessee area are, you know, I wish it were tighter. I wish they had a better <laughs> group, but you know, we get busy and people got their own things, but do, do you guys as professionals get together and talk and do y'all have sort of, or do y'all kind of just, eh, we're just kind of not going to hang out. I mean, how does well, it's, it's interesting that you ask that. It seems like, I, I keep in mind with a lot of the, the other sales reps that are in the area, they're a lot, they've been in the industry for a, for a longer time, much longer than me. Yeah. And so it's taken me uh, quite a while to establish myself uh, with those guys. But, but to that point, uh, no, we don't really hang out or, you know, grab a beer or something anytime. Um, uh, you know, occasionally I'll grab breakfast or something with with somebody, but but for the most part, it's a it's a business relationship, um, and if I can send somebody some business that I may not provide a solution for, well, you know, I send them send them that, but I expect the same thing in return. Right. And and most of the time, we all work fairly well together. Uh, occasionally, you'll get somebody that'll that'll get out of line and step on your toes a little bit by you know, various ways like slashing prices or doing something like that. But, but for the most part, all of us coexist pretty well. And, uh, and, and that's one of the beauties of the turf industry is we all do coexist fairly well. Yeah. So. It's always been, it's always been my conversation with guys who there there's, there's kind of like, there's these different things. There's these, you, you, you sell particularly chemicals and fertilizers and, and things of that. You I mean I know y'all do some equipment, and some yes. things like that. But for, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the majority of what you do is chemicals and fertilizers and and material, you know, use materials like that, right? That's right. Yeah, seed chemicals, fertilizer, right. and equipment. And yeah. and so in general, that's pretty. I mean, that's available in other areas. It is. It it's is. not like. And, and so my point is, is that you're not like Toro is selling a specific type of equipment. John Deere is selling it. To, they're they're not the same. They're they they may do the same thing, but they're not the same. They they come with a different level of service, you know. So there's all these different things. So at that point, it's it's somewhat about the relationship, but it's about what the end user might want or how the how it actually performs. So I think that's where that's where we are talking about where you as as selling things that are similar to other people. How do you stand out? What is it that makes you different from the other guys? And and so getting in a knit group and getting together with those guys and talking to them about what's some of the things I don't know if that'd be beneficial. I, I kinda just I kinda just, you know, 
wanted to hear your perspective on that as far as how you interact with some of the guys who are doing basically the same thing you're doing. I know you, I know you like we talked about that you have, you know, certain little products to give you an advantage over one thing over another. But in general, if I, if I want a fungicide, I mean, I could get it from <laughs> half dozen guys, you know. You can. So. Well, it, it probably would be a good thing, but, but to be honest with you, BJ, we're all running crazy. And yeah. uh, I don't know that. I don't know that there's enough time for us to necessarily get together to, to do that. And, and, and then when we did get together, uh, I, it would be one hell of a good time for sure. Uh, but, Who's uh, paying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who is paying? But Throw the a credit thing, card in the middle, like, like credit card roulette or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, uh, but on the flip side, too, it's a difficult thing because you can't really talk about pricing because you start approaching that line of collusion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to get in trouble with the government for setting prices. In sure. The market. We definitely don't want to do that. But, but, uh, I, I just don't know when we would all be able to, cause most of the guys here, we all do a great job. Um, there's, there may be individual situations where somebody might not be happy with something somebody else did or didn't do, right. said they were going to do, didn't do it, that kind of thing. But for the most part, we're all running a hundred miles an hour. And, uh, uh, so I, I don't know when we could, um, yeah, I, 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 it's really just a great discussion to, you know, I know we have meetings where you get to see guys mm -hmm. and, you know, you might go to a national conference every now and then where you could catch up, but and there may not be any r real need to, but I, it was just an inf interesting, uh, in the context of our conversation, just to see if that was something, because I know with some, you know, superintendents, that's very clicky a lot of ways, <laughs> a lot of times, but they do hang out, you yeah. know. Um, wish I, they played I found more that golf. There's, I found there's there's small clicks all yeah. over the place. Yeah. It, it's kind of interesting, really. It probably is all over. Um, let's segue a little bit. I uh, I know you talked about fishing, and I've seen a lot of that. Talk about that passion, where that came from, how that sort of you know takes your mind off of the sales and the turf industry, and you know, a couple of cool stories would be awesome. <laughs> well, um, my dad fished professionally back in the late 70s early 80s and uh he he never got big but but he did quite a bit and when i came along that kind of ixnayed that yeah. that whole deal <laughs> got busy and then started chasing me around and uh then i started playing baseball and and whatnot and uh i, I always we always made time to go fishing um in between tournaments and whatnot but but in the back of my mind i always felt confident that man that body of water right there i can go catch a fish in that and whether i could or couldn't is irrelevant because i felt like i could yeah <laughs> but uh um i always enjoyed fishing and uh now bass fishing in college is a huge thing i was about four years too early uh, or else i probably would have done that instead of playing baseball but they have uh, that oh yeah college bass fishing now is is a uh it's it's a feeder system for the professional ranks i had no idea oh it's huge um they they fish for cash and everything it's it's uh it's pretty it's a it's a legit organized organized um entity both flw and bass are the two uh powers that be i guess that that run the major tournament trails yeah. and both of them have so they're not they're not they're not fishing for cash in college though right they are um the cash goes just like to the breaking teams. news stuff or something <laughs> the cash goes to the school and I the teams you. i mean it's no different than a 
Um, and Clemson, they I'm sure they just got a really fat check for winning the national championship. Sorry, BJ, but <laughs> BJ's a Bama fan, in case you didn't yeah, know. Whatever. But uh, <laughs> don't go down that hole. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they it's a it's a very organized event now, and and they have uh, high school tournaments all over the country, and then there's even full paid scholarships to go to college and fish on the fishing team in college too. So. Um, much different than how it used to be, but uh, like I said, I was about four years too early. And uh, but uh, getting back to fishing, I've fished. Uh, That's got to be one hell of a popular thing to do for some people. <laughs> I don't know about everywhere, but that it, I mean, it, fishing. It, uh, they give scholarships and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, mm. full page, full rods. I mean, they got to come up with some way to spend this money, don't they? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild, wow. but uh, um, but I. I've been fishing when when I lived in Atlanta. Um, I got involved with a with a club when I was down there, and although I didn't have a whole lot of spare time, the the time that I did have available to me, I, I fished in that in that group of of, uh, of of guys that just loved to fish. But it was it was more than that. I mean, every Wednesday night there was uh, about six or seven of us that would get together and play cards, and so. Although we competed against each other, we created uh, lifelong friendships. I still talk to uh, several of those guys to this day. But uh, uh, I, I fished that, and then when I moved back home, um, I fished with a good friend of mine in a in a a, a little bit larger club, uh, more money, more more competition, and we were very successful in that. And uh, I got to the point where I was just kind of ready to spread my wings and and get off on my own. So. Yeah. Uh, I did, and I, I jumped up, and now uh, what's called the BFLs, that's like the uh, semi-pro tournaments around this area. Sure. Uh, my first year out of the gate, which was uh, three years ago, I had a lot of success, and uh, I cashed a check in um, I think three out of five tournaments and came in second in one of them. And uh, there's there's a lot of people, I'd say the majority of people, never even win one of those or come in the top ten. So to come in second that was kind of a big deal and uh i think that year i ended up finishing third in the points so overall i had a great year and it opened some doors for me um as far as sponsorships go and so now i the last couple years have been tough for whatever reason i don't know if it's been uh uh my mental focus on things i'm not really sure i'm I'm still looking for that those answers but uh but I, I'd fish those tournaments, and uh, it, like I said before, it's an unquenchable thirst. I can't get enough of it. I'm so excited right now as we sit about our first tournament coming up in March that I just, I, I, I can't wait. I can't, can't wait. But, uh, um, but fishing uh, is is a huge mental game as well. Um, you know, anybody can go buy a bass boat and all the electronics and have all the equipment available at the that money can buy but that doesn't mean that you're going to go catch fish you know so there's a huge mental side of fishing uh too so uh again uh the power of positive mindset and things like that play a huge part in that and so it's uh it's a good exercise for me to 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 hang tough and 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 uh but but yeah so that's pretty much what i do and (laughs) i i literally work so i can fish i think that's a pretty accurate statement there so <laughs> well i mean that's awesome i mean so do you do you think it's something that 
you would want to do full time or is it are you you just kind of hey it's just something i want to do on the side and keeps me from doing you know <laughs> this all the time or that all the time it's just a break from everything well that's kind of a loaded question i guess um i'll, I'll say this i would like to have the opportunity one day to have to choose or have the opportunity to choose between continuing doing what i'm doing and fishing professionally sure. um those guys that fish professionally, what you see on TV, the glitz and glamour of it, that's not all that there is. Um, most of the guys that fish on the on the trails, on the tour trails as professionals, they are either living on bread and water, sleeping in their truck, or they have a secondary form of income that allows them to do that, and right. they don't have to worry about anything. And now with uh, my wife and 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 we have a one-year-old baby uh, that uh, uh, that complicates things just a little bit as far as the professional route. But my wife is 100% behind me. Uh, she supports me. I, I couldn't do without her now. I don't know how I ever did it without her before, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't know how I live day to day. But but uh, uh, so I have her in my corner um, yeah. and uh, a lot of support from family and, and friends and whatnot. But uh Maybe one of these days, you know, I, um, as I continue pro to progress, it's uh, it's going to be interesting because, you know, we all have to set goals. And I think that uh, setting goals both professionally and in your um, your personal life are important. And so as I continue to work towards those goals and maybe one of these days I might have an opportunity. I don't know. We'll see. So what, <laughs> what is what is one of your goals in in terms of fishing that you that you have? Well, so. You said short term, long term kind of well, deal. Uh, yeah, just a one. Bit. You don't have to go into no. That, uh, well, so as I mentioned before, the last two years have been pretty tough. I have yeah. not been successful at all. So uh, last year, um, uh, I had problems with just bringing in limits of fish. You can bring in your best five fish to the scales. So this year, I uh, I've tried to scale back on my goals and make the goals not so broad and and uh, and make the goal really attainable so to speak, or at least the goals that I have. But one of the goals is I want to weigh in a limit every tournament. It's simple, five fish. So yeah. fish for one fish, then fish for two, and then that third one. And so I want to weigh in a limit in, in all all the tournaments this year. And uh, so I, that's kind of a process I'm going through right now where, um, okay, let's go back just a little bit. Let's let's not look so far down uh, in the future, let's let's make the goals a little small, a little more attainable, and then go from there. Yeah. So. Well, I think that's. I mean, not to go too far down goal setting, <laughs> but I mean, too many people give broad goals. I mean, they they say I want to lose weight. Well, what the hell does that mean? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's yeah. like, and, and so you need to be more focused. And so, if it's five fish, I want to weigh in five fish every tournament. That's right. Yeah. You know, that's. Yeah. That's kind of like the uh, same thing as a golfer saying, I want to make every cut. You know, those are specific goals. They're not, they might not be specific enough. Like you you could say, I want to win. Mm -hmm. You know, I want sure. to win this tournament, yeah. you know, or whatever, or make this amount of money. But, you know, but being goal-oriented is, is, you know, hey, a goal is to weigh in, you know, all five fish every tournament. That's right, That's yeah. Perfectly, you can – you can measure it. It's scalable. You know exactly what you're trying to do. And if you don't do it, you know that you actually didn't meet that goal. And you just got to yeah. figure out, you know, what happened. Exactly right. And, and again, uh, it's going back to your, your Bama ties. But I'm 
Uh, I'm not an Alabama fan, but I am intrigued with what Nick Saban has done down there. Uh, you keep pe- hearing people talk about the process. I mean, he has coined the phrase, it's part of the process. Sure. Well, that is so true because, yeah, you can set a goal, but what are you going to do to get there? What are you willing to give up? You know, what do you, uh, if it's if it's to lose weight, how much sweat are you willing to, to dish out to, to lose that weight? Because yep. I guarantee you it's going to hurt. Yep. How much hurt are you willing to go through? So uh, you have to do that in order to grow. You have to get outside of your of your comfort zone and and uh, and you have to grow. Otherwise, you're sitting still or moving backwards. Yep. I mean, I believe. I mean, I believe in very simple principles, but anything's possible. It's just you being, you know, seeing where you want to go, seeing what you want to do, and being committed to the process of getting there. That's right. Because. Yeah. You know, just like you said with Nick Saban, he has a he it may change, it may evolve, but it's it's towards one goal. That's right. And that's to be the best team that he can possibly be. And and one of I mean, one of my fascinations with Nick Saban, <laughs> not only as a Bama fan, is is that he can convince kids to come to Alabama still that would that knowing that they may sit behind a guy for a year or two, just to come there and be a part of that. He can convince a kid that as as opposed to going to another school where he might play right out of the bay. It's incredible. I mean, and that that may be his single biggest sales job to me. It's not. I mean, we all know he can coach, and we all know he puts, but and he gets these great athletes. But it's convincing all these athletes that year after year after year after year that they just keep coming there, and it and it's really putting other programs at a disadvantage because you know if they get a, a key injury. Or something, something happens to a particular lineman or whatever, they put in a guy that's, you know, he's just not at the same skill level. He needs to be coached up still. And yeah. so that's where I think that he separated himself eventually. Yep. And, Alabama, and, they just plug a new one in. Yeah. <laughs> and <crazy>. so <laughs> to kind of tie that into what we were talking about is it's really about redefining your goals to always, if something little, if some little thing happens that you can readjust and keep keep moving forward oh, because yeah, yeah. there's no you know there's no reason to be looking that uh, one, you may hear you may have heard of me say this or you may have read it but the reason why the the windshield is as big as it is in your car and the rearview mirror is as small as it is because you don't need to be looking at that thing it's that's just right. small for a reason you know, everything's going forward and so i like that know, bj yeah that's a, that's a good one right there well, i'm here to give you little <laughs> bits of positive nuggets and things like that but um so what what is uh what's the biggest you primarily fish for bass Primarily in yeah. the wintertime, uh, my dad and I would like to fish for crappie, and, yeah. and uh, occasionally I'll go try and hook up with a big striper or something like that, but uh, but primarily for bass, yeah. All right, I don't want the, uh, I don't want, uh, the, the one that got away story. I need, <laughs> I need what, what, what's, what's the most memorable or biggest one you probably? Probably the most memorable. Um, so the club that I mentioned before that, that uh, when I moved back to Nashville that uh, I fished in, uh, it's a very competitive club. Um, it's called Music City Bass Anglers, and uh, uh, they typically have 10 events a year, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily one a month. Sometimes there's there's two in a month, but for the most part, there's 10 tournaments a year. And at the end of the year, uh, I believe it's the top 25 in points based on how you did in those previous tournaments. Those guys get to go and fish for a fish-off at the end of the year. And this is a team event. And so my partner and I, Bobby Parker, um, we qualified for um, for the fish off at the end of the year. So it was at Lake Barkley, 
and uh, it's a two-day event, so you want the best cumulative weight for those two days. You weigh in both days, I think at 3 o'clock, and uh, you bring your best five fish both days. So day one, we went through there, and, and uh, uh, we were leading after day one. Uh, I think we had about 15 pounds or whatnot. But So the second day comes around, and conditions changed. And we, quite honestly, we struggled. I mean, we really struggled. It was a tough day. I, I think uh, at weigh-in was at 2 o'clock on Sunday, I believe. And at 1.15 or so, um, we only had three fish. And those three fish weren't, I mean, they were solid fish, but they weren't uh, any, uh, they weren't going to win the tournament for us. Sure. Let's, let's leave it at that. So um, we basically talked about okay what can we do we never gave up and so we decided okay let's go to this one last place that it just happened it just so happened to be right by the ramp and it was a bluff and we got there probably 130 135 um we're not even five minutes from the ramp i mean we're within sight of the ramp so we start going down through this bluff and bobby's in the front of the boat running the boat and i'm in the back and about the third or fourth flip, I catch a two-and-a-half, three-pounder. Bam, get him in the boat. Okay, that's four fish. So we keep going down through, and, I mean, it's coming down to the very end. It's maybe 150, 151. I mean, just the time is just counting down. And for whatever reason, I decide to pick up a spinnerbait, and I make a cast, and, bam, there's a fish. I hook up, fighting, fighting. He comes up. It's a big one. It's huge. I'm fighting him. He's going under the boat. And so Bobby nets the fish, and we get him in the boat, and it's a five-pounder. And at that moment, we knew we won the tournament. And so uh, we got the fish in the live well and took off to the ramp, and, and we ended up winning the tournament with first and second big fish. And so that was, a, um, that was a pretty nice payday <laughs> there because the fish-offs generally have larger paydays than yeah. the regular tournaments. But uh, that was uh, certainly a defining moment in uh, – in my fishing career and uh to this day bobby and i still talk about that and 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 to be honest with you um my wife is a mental health therapist and so um i call it therapizing me i'm like babe you got to help me out i'm going through a hard time with this <laughs> what can i do well one of the things that she has taught me to do is you associate whatever whatever you're thinking of that's bad or negative or whatever you associate that with something that's really good or something that made you feel great or a fun time. So um, she has helped me uh, by by refocusing my mental or mental uh, mindset, and I use that moment of catching that five pounder and what that felt like when he hit the spinner bait and getting him in the boat and then us winning the tournament to help bring me out of. Anytime I get into a dark place when I'm having a hard time. Sure. And uh, so, so yeah, that's uh, that's a good story right there. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, sad to say this is coming to an end. <laughs> oh, man. How, yeah. uh, it's already been an hour. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, hey, I, I can't keep you forever. But um, I, I do, I, you know, I'm still wondering how I'm going to, you know, navigate through this format and all. But I, I would, I mean, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you uh, coming on. And, and uh, is there any last little thing that you have or want to say or 
you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how <laughs> I want to end this either, but I, you know, I've, um, it's been a great conversation. I told you it'd go by quick. So, it did go by very fast. Um, Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Man. I mean, you know, and, and I'm excited about this uh, process. I'm excited about the, the path I'm, this, this podcast is going to go down. Uh, it's really going to open people's eyes, not only to what other guys do in the green industry, get a little bit more insight about them, myself, but then, you know, learn things about, you know, guys like yourself that uh, people don't know. And, and I hope it I hope it really s- spreads its wings. And and so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, again, I appreciate it. And, um, you know. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having me, on, BJ. So. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, so. be sure to tell, you know, anybody and everybody, it'll, uh, you know, we'll be we'll be coming out and it's going to be something that going to be on a regular basis so once we start promoting it, it's going to be fun so i uh, appreciate you being on the uh, first episode of uh, making <laughs> the turn right and uh look for more so appreciate it thanks man all right thanks pj